Welcome to the Speakeasy, Mixing Passions, a Fuel Production, established 2023. Welcome to the 19th hole of the Speakeasy Championship, Mixing Passions. We are preparing for our biggest shot. Inside of our read, we see this is a two-finger pour, and we're ready to go. Let's see what happens. The putt is away. It's about 20 feet, breaking two feet left to right. Oh my goodness, it's tracking. It's tracking. It's good! Oh my goodness, it's in the It's time to slow down, relax, and enjoy the speakeasy mixing passions. Welcome Fuel and GameForge members, this is Brian Bailey here bringing you our next uh, installment and welcome you in inside the speakeasy. We're going to be talking Irish whiskeys in the next four week cycle. So the first thing we're going to do is talk about the rules of whiskey and also some rules of golf. And of course I do have a co-host for us today. So um, thanks to Gareth McShay, I have a sampling of the Teeling Whiskey, a small batch. I have never tried this, so I have absolutely no clue what it tastes like, but I do need a co-host for today. So today it's going to be a teeling uh, small batch. And we'll go ahead and put that right up here. Um, so a couple reasons we're starting with the Irishes. Well, number one, it is my favorite uh, brand of whiskeys, or, or at least origins of whiskey. Um, I have gotten into a lot more bourbons lately, but Irish to me was my, my gateway or my entry whiskey. They tend to be very smooth, very approachable, very friendly, very good for, for newer drinkers because it's not going to be this harsh, peaty tasting scotch or a brash bourbon that just wants to kind of punch you in the nose. Um, so what we kind of find is a lot of the Irishes tend to be a little tamer and much more enjoyable for newer drinkers. But me, I, well, I'm still a newbie, uh, but I've been drinking whiskeys now for a couple years. I still like to go back to a good red breast. I still like, um, I really like uh, Bushmill, um, the Black Bush in an old fashioned. Um, the Drum Chambeau is one of my favorites. Um, it's a very complex single pot still whiskey, which we're going to talk about. Um, so again, and of course, you can't go with bad with the Red Breast products. Uh, probably, again, Red Breast 12 is probably my go-to if I just want to sit down and enjoy a good dram. It's probably my go-to whiskey as of right now. Um, and again, I have Teelings here, so let's just take a quick look at my co-host. It's a lighter amber. It's not gold, but it's definitely not blonde, but it's definitely not dark. Um, so I would call that kind of a golden amber, maybe. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But let's dive in here and start talking about what makes an Irish whiskey an Irish whiskey. First off, the ingredients. Most Irish whiskey is made up of one main ingredient, malted barley. Or, again, in the whiskey, you'll just hear it called malt, 
right? So that's malted barley. So what they do is they actually take the barley, which is a very hard grain, they spray it down with water, and they actually trick it into blooming. And when it blooms, that releases enzymes that they can use for the actual uh, fermentation process to turn st starches into sugar. Therefore, uh, they can put yeast on it. Therefore, they can make alcohol, right? So uh, most Irish whiskeys, the main ingredient is barley. So when you think of barley, you think of cereal, right? So one of the number one rule inside of Irish whiskey is all ingredients are kind of the main ingredient has to be a cereal, which is a grain. And again, malted barley is the number one grain that is used. That you will see other grains used. Sometimes they'll use just barley, not malted, and they'll use things as rye, wheat, and things along that lines. But again, most Irish whiskeys are predominantly malt. So you'll get a lot. So to me, if we go to just general tasting notes of an Irish, you tend to get kind of that cereal malty smell like fresh bread uh, you'll get fruits and floral um, aged if it's been aged in oak which we'll talk about here in a second you'll get some of that vanilla flavoring uh, depending how long it's aged you might even get into a, a caramel flavor uh, and then you will also get a lot of cooking spices a lot of time um, not spices like rye where you get this really bitey peppery but more of like a allspice nutmeg kind of cinnamony flavor not a kind of punchy spice. Uh, but again, they tend to be really smooth. And again, those are a lot of the uh, flavors that you'll get. A lot of vanilla, a lot of caramel. Um, very, they're very good whiskeys again. Uh, so the really cool part, now that we just kind of talked about some basic flavors of, of whiskey, let's go ahead and take a quick. Florally, I'm getting, I'm getting lots of floral here. Definitely sugar. And I'm actually getting maybe, maybe some spices like baking spices, but I can smell the malt. I can smell a little bit of sugar floral. And like I said, I'm getting kind of a spicy note. <laughs> I get sweet and floral. I get some more of the baking notes. This actually has a little alcohol bite to it for an Irish is pretty interesting. And it's got a little heat at the end. Again, kind of unique for an Irish. Medium finish, medium long. Little dry, but not overly dry. Definitely dries your mouth out towards the end. Pretty good whiskey. I mean, pretty good alcohol. This definitely not 80 proof. Um, oh, 46%, so it's about 92 proof. So a little higher bite on the alcohol is what I'm getting. But again, a lot of vanilla, caramel smell. Definitely getting some spices. And of course, malt. I'm getting that cereally malty flavor. And we'll, we'll talk about it more. Um, distillation process. So inside of the Irish, when they distill it, it has to be 94.8 alcohol per volume um, out of the still. So basically 95% alcohol coming out of the still. Uh, from that, it is actually put in, a lot of times they use traditional pot stills, which we'll talk about. But so it comes out at a really high level. And of course we know that when it comes out of the still, it is actually clear, right? So what gives whiskey that color? Once again, that is the aging process inside of a barrel. So the distillation process comes out very high proof, has to be under 95% alcohol. 
And again, it's going to come out completely clear. And kind of the, what makes uh, Irish the most unique Irish piece is that they use something called pot stills. So there's a couple different types of stills. We're not going to go into this too deep, uh, but there's kind of a column or coffee still that it, continuous flow of, of, of liquid runs through and you can run continuously um, to produce your, your distillant and your, your you know, spirit coming through the distillation process. But the Irish use something called pot stills. So think of these as really big pots uh, and you heat the pot up and as the pot gets hot, it, the alcohol turns into a vapor and it'll run through the, the, the tubing and, and out to create your spirit. But again, the beauty of a pot still is you can only run the pot still until the liquid is out, the alcohol is pulled from it, and then you have to clean it and start again, where the column and coffee stills are running continuously with alcohol. So the really cool part about the Irish is they tend to be very traditional using the pot stills, so it's very artisan and craftsman because they're very small batches, right? The, the pot stills are huge, right? They're large containers of alcohol. However, they can't run continuously, hence a lot of times with the Irish, you'll see right here, single pot still. Um, Green Spot is a, is a really popular single pot still. Uh, we'll go in a little more detail on that, uh, but again, distillation-wise, just know that it comes out at about 95%, and then they will put it in the barrel, cut it with water, uh, bring it down to a certain alcohol going into the barrel, and then when it comes out of the barrel, they might cut it again, with more water uh, to bring it down. Because again, you gotta remember, this is only 46 um, APV, so, um, and if it's coming out of the still right around 95, that's cut in half, right? So a lot of times that's done with water and it has to be Irish water, of course, right? Uh, aging process to be an Irish whiskey, the rule is three years in a wooden cask. So there's something that's a little bit different than a lot of the other countries, such as bourbons. It has to be a brand new oaked charred barrel. So the Irish give you a little bit of wiggle room and they say a wood cask. So it needs to be a wood barrel of some sort. A lot of times they use used um, bourbon barrels. They use French oak, American oak. Uh, they'll use rum barrels, uh, wine barrels to finish to give different flavors. But it has to be in a wood cask. And the Irish also say no additives are allowed except for one general rule. You can add a caramel color. So you can basically, when they create the mash, a lot of times there's a, the, the remnants of the mash that they can drop it into the distilling process to add color. So every blended whiskey, for the most part, usually blended, will have that same look every time you buy it. Um, so they do allow coloring, but other than that, they do not allow any other additives right so the barley brings all the enzymes that they need you need to add yeast to it so you would bring yeast to the uh, distillation process but again the beauty of most irish whiskey it really has two ingredients water malt <laughs> that's it uh, so aging once again it has to be a minimum of three years uh, you'll see most whiskeys will go three six nine twelve fifteen some are twenty one and even longer, right? So there are different ages for the different barrel. And the longer it's in the barrel, it tends to get a little darker in color. And it tends to bring out more wood flavoring to it. And the beauty of aging, you can age too long. And then it would actually taste a little too woody, have a little too much bitter bite from the wood. So again, the beauty of the craftsmanship and the artisanship of the distiller is when does this thing come out of the barrel?
Um, location, of course, to create an Irish whiskey, guess where it has to come from? Ireland. Even Northern Ireland or the Republic of Ireland, either one. Uh, and it has to be aged in Ireland, use Irish water. Um, so that makes it an Irish whiskey by law. So we must follow the law. Um, also, inside of that, there are a couple different types of Irish whiskeys. Uh, we have a single malt, which means it comes from a singer distiller, and it is just barley. It's just malted barley, right? So that would be your single malt. Come from one distiller, and the malt is barley. Uh, you have something called single grain, and that comes from a single distiller, but it can have more than one grain in it. So it can have rye, it can have um, not just barley, it could have wheat, it could have different grains in it, but it can have no more than 30% malt. So this is, again, they've created rules. So a single grain has no more than 30% malt, and a lot of times single grains will be run through a column still, so it would run continuously. Uh, we have blended, which is what we're having tonight, and that is a blend of different whiskeys uh, brought together doesn't have to come from one distillery sorry about that i am in a different hat and it's actually uh midday here i had a audio issue i don't know last night the second half of the video podcast just had some terrible audio with this squeal, squeal and screech through it so i'm gonna have to refilm this little segment i could have tried to fool you put my hat on drink some more but i'm gonna be honest with you i screwed up somewhere um so what we're gonna do is uh we're gonna finish I'm going to try to pick up where we left. Now, granted, the last 10 minutes of, of the uh, filming last night was spectacular. Probably the best presentation I've ever done in my entire life. And you are not going to be able to witness that. I apologize for that, but I'm going to give it the old uh, regroup, adapt, and move forward. So, we were talking about the different types of whiskey. And we were talking about blended. And the tea lean is the, the drink of choice I had last night, which was really lovely. Had some spice overtones. I got some vanilla. Um, really kind of some fruity, different different than normal what I would taste. And I've done no reading on this. I just opened it and drank it. So I'm going to go ahead and actually, since I can't drink it and comment more on it, um, since that has been lost to the, to the ether, I'm going to go ahead and read up on it here in a second. But this would be a batch, a small batch or a blended whiskey. So a blended whiskey is taking multiple whiskeys. It could be from the same distillery, from the different parts of the... Rick House, different ages, or it could even be different distillers throughout the country. You blend them together and create a new whiskey by flavor. A lot of times with blended, that's where we'll start to see color added. So we talked about earlier, um, they had, you know, the tradition of Irish whiskeys are no additives except for color. And you'll see that a lot of times with blended because a blended whiskey, you wanted to taste relatively the same every time and look the same. So they'll actually add coloring to that to get the effect that they're looking for. So blended whiskeys typically are a little cheaper because it's using a variety of different whiskeys so they can keep costs down. And a lot of times you find uh, with blended whiskeys, you can get some really neat pairings and flavors that, again, you don't get straight out of a barrel. Uh, so you can be a single malt guy or you can really be a blended guy or like me. Why not? Let's enjoy them all. Um, the other main type and, the, and kind of what, the, what makes Irish whiskey unique is... That's right, single pot still. So single pot means that they, you know, they have column stills that we talked about where they run, uh, uh, just basically they run, continue, they put the mash in, they continuously run 
uh, through the fermentation process, creating distillant, creating spirits, right? It just runs continuously. It's this huge column. You keep feeding it, it keeps producing alcohol. Well, in the, the Irish, in their tradition, they use what's called a pot spill still. So you think of a big pot that kind of comes to a dome and then the, uh, it runs, I can't remember the name of it, but as the vapors, as you boil the pot, the vapors of alcohol actually um, break down and become a vapor before water uh, does, turns into steam. So the alcohol is basically leaves, water in the pot stays. So this is how you're able to create 95 proof alcohol. So the alcohol comes flowing up through the system. So you govern the heat in the pot still, but the beauty of the pot still is once the water is gone, we can't continuously replace. So we've got to run the pot all the way down, clean it, refill it, run it again. So it is more time intensive. It, it is not as, I guess, does not produce the amount that a, a continuous column still can, but it does give you a lot of unique flavors and there's certain rules for the pot still to be a single pot still. So the rules are 30% minimum of uh, malt, malted barley, and 30% unmalted. So 60% of a single pot has to be malt or it has to be barley, whether it's malted or unmalted. And then they could add other grain on top of that, but you'll see a lot of single pots will be single malt or and single malt and 30% um, just barley. And, and really the reason this was done was actually during tax times. Uh, back in the day, the government started taxing malts. So the distiller said, hey, they're not char charging as much for barley. So we'll run some malt, pay the taxes on that, but we can run barley and save money. So a lot of the pot still, again, the beauty of, of, of the distiller is what is the government going to charge? What are their rules and how can I get around them? Single pot still. Um, tip of the cap to the Irish on that one. Uh, so those are a lot of the uniqueness that you'll see inside of Irish's. Single pot still, again, is kind of the Irish thing, and you'll see a lot of single malts. Um, and again, the really cool part about Irish is they tend to be smooth, they tend to be fresh, they tend to be fun, uh, very inviting. Um, so to me, again, a great entry whiskey. And since, well, I'm drinking coffee today, sorry. Um, the cool thing about tea, actually, let's read about it. This, the small batch tealing whiskey. I'm going to actually just, let's do a little reading here. Let me open up the website. Uh, my birthday, 1199. Oops. Sorry. I don't know how they did that. Um, so, Teeling is a, a distillery inside of Dublin. This whiskey challenges the convention of what an Irish whiskey can be. With layers of unique flares, flavors influenced by unconventional casks, maturation, and techniques. I would say for an actual... I would say a lot of Irish whiskeys are not complex because, again, a lot of times it's just barley. You know, it's just that malt flavor. So they don't have tons of complexity, but they still it to be smooth. To me, that tea lean was complex. I got multitude of different flavors. Hand-selected cast and grain and malt whiskeys are initially aged in, uh, aged in ex-bourbon barrels. Go America. And they are married together with Central American rum cask for the last 12 months. So the aging starts in American bourbon barrels and then ends in the casks of uh, Central American rum. It gives it a unique dry fruit profile. So, so roughly, let's see here, um, the cereals inside of this blend 
or it's corn and grain element of bean bran da, 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 for rich toasted caramel. So they use malted barley, but they actually use corn in this as part of their blend. So again, that's where I was getting some more of that caramel, a little sweeter than I'm used to. Again, it's put in X uh, bourbon barrels, really cool, and a roughly a three to one grain to malt ratio. Um, so vanilla and oak notes are imparted at this stage. And then the final, so basically it's, it's more of a bourbon-ish than an actual malt, uh, which is really cool. So it's three to one grain to malt. So it's a much higher corn blend. This is kind of an Irish bourbon. <laughs> this is crazy. And then it is finished in a rum cask. Uh, small batch finished in the Central American rum cask allow the grain and the malt uh, to marry and take on a subtle dried fruit. And again, I was getting this, I was getting kind of spices I had kind of like a spiced rum, and I was getting some coming out of the fruit characteristics, which is, again, a you do get fruit characteristics out of Irish, but this was completely different. <laughs> it's fascinating. I'm wondering why I was having trouble placing this. Uh, tasting notes, what they tell you is it is vanilla with spiced, um, inviting notes where you smell vanilla and a spice dance with bright, sweet notes of rum. Again, I think those are the spices I was smelling a little different. I was still getting that vanilla. I was still getting kind of some of that sweet floral, but uh, that spice part's kind of interesting. The palate is a solid rum influence that creates a unique smooth. I'll give it smooth, a little dry. Sweet and slightly woody. Taste a hair of the oak, I give it to them. And the sparkles on the tongue, sure. Exotic fruit notes push through as well. Um, with a sweet spicy finish, I would buy that. And it kind of a lingering woody undertones was that dry feeling I got. Again, they're much fancier uh, in their description than I could ever be. Uh, so this was actually their small batch. I did their single malt in a podcast with Gareth and I absolutely love because that was actually put in different wine barrels. Um, and this one is actually put in bourbon barrels and then rum casks. Again, really, really interesting um, whiskey. So Teeling, once again, you guys are intriguing me. Next time in Dublin, I am definitely heading that direction. All right, so, so now we've talked about whiskeys. Now let's talk about some rules of golf right up my alley on this one. So we're going to talk just some basic rules, kind of getting you understanding what it takes to play golf and kind of be in the position to play golf. Uh, there's tons of rules, right? So remember, rules are, the, are created to protect the field and your opponents, as well as rules of whiskey are made to protect the actual producers of whiskey because you don't want the, um, for unscrupulous whiskey makers to steal your name or your concepts and sell it at a, at a lower rate and an inferior product. So that's why the rules for creating Irish whiskey, same thing in golf. We want to create rules that protect that everybody plays. So everybody score at the end of the day, runs under the same rules and you get the same score. Right. So let's talk about what is the T area. So to start a golf hole, start a golf round, you got to go to the T area. This is a shortcut area that has T markers. You will place your ball between the T markers. You're not allowed to be outside of it and no closer to the hole. So you cannot go in front of the T markers, but you do get two club lengths behind the T markers. So inside of that area, inside of that kind of visual box, you can put place your ball actually on a T. It's the only time you physically get to put the ball on a T where you don't have to play it as it lies, and you go ahead and swing it and put it into play. The really interesting part about teeing it off too is you must make a reasonable effort to move the ball forward. So if you're taking practice swings and you nick the ball and it falls off the tee, that is not a penalty. 
if you took a swing at it and missed, that would be a penalty because you took a reasonable effort trying to hit it. But if you're taking practice swings and it falls off the tee, that is not a penalty. Again, you have to make reasonable effort to be putting the ball into play. So that is how we start the round or how we start the hole. Uh, there's also something called order of play. Order of play is simply when do we hit, right? So typically, whoever has the lowest score on the last hole tees off first on the next hole. If nobody, if two people had the same score, low score, let's say two people birdied it, it's whoever had the honors on the hole before that or who hit before. So it is always basically the, the last person that scored best and you kind of work it all the way back that will always hit first. And inside of match play, whoever won the last hole or the previous hole when somebody actually won it and not halved it has honors. So that means you get a hit first. As order of play out of the fairway, it's very simple. Furthest from the hole hits first. Same thing on the putting green. Furthest from the hole goes first. Uh, the really interesting part, inside of match play, if you break that order, um, that person can make you replay the shot. Rolls of golf fun. Um, but again, that's kind of order of play. So sometimes you'll actually see it where a person, maybe the pin's tucked in the back right corner. Somebody's missed the green, maybe eight, 10 feet from the hole chipping. And there's a person 40 feet away putting. Technically the person putting should go first because they're furthest from the hole. But a lot of times in golf, especially just fun golf, you'll play ready golf. Whoever's ready first go because we're looking for, you know, pace of play to be moving. But again, that is order of play. Uh, what, when the ball is in play, what does that mean? So once you tee the ball off and you made a reasonable effort to advance it, the ball is physically in play. From that point forward, you cannot pick it up. You cannot touch it with your hands unless you're cleaning the ball by rules being on the green or taking relief from a different situation, which we'll talk about it. So once the ball is advanced off the tee box, the ball is in play and you play it as it lies unless there's a rule otherwise telling you different. A lost ball or OB, these are two different rules, but kind of similar. This is when you're unable to play the golf ball. Like you either lost it, it went into a bush, I couldn't find it, or it went outside of the designated parameters of a golf course and they'll have white stakes. So you're in somebody's backyard or however they, or across a road or whatever that may be. That's what we call OB, which is um, out of bounds, right? So a lost ball and out of bounds, they're very similar in the fact that the rule states that you will lose distance and stroke. So if I hit a tee shot into somebody's pool and it's considered out of bounds or, or I went towards a pool but I don't know where it went and it's a lost ball, I need to go back and re-tee that shot. So I actually take a one stroke penalty. So I hit one, I re-tee two, I hit three. So that's a penalty but I have to go back to the tee box. That's penalty and distance. So we'll start talking about different reliefs and different rules that way. But anytime that you lose a ball or a ball is out of bounds, technically you need to go back to where you hit it from and go again. Now, if you're not really playing by the rules of golf, do what you do for pace of play or what you're doing with your buddies. Um, the other big piece is a hazard. So we're talking about lost balls, we're talking about out of bounds, and we'll talk about hazards. Hazards can be classified as a bunker, uh, a sand trap, as well as some sort of water feature. It could be a creek, it could be a pool, a pond, the ocean, a river, any, any body of water that's on the golf course. So if you hit it in a bunker, you don't get relief from the bunker, you have to play it. If you do take uh, relief outside of the bunker, there's a series of penalties that you have to go through to achieve that, it's very punishing. Uh, if you hit it into a hazard, 
um, you do have options. Uh, if it's a if it's a yellow staked hazard or just a hazard, you'll take entry point, flag stick, go back as far as you want in a straight line, and you can drop the ball anywhere in that in that straight line. If it is a lateral hazard, you do have that option, as well as you can always re-tee. You can always go back to your word, take your penalty and distance and go. Or as a lateral, you can also take two club lengths from point of entry where it crossed the hazard. And there's also something called equidistance. So you could actually go on the other side of the water hazard and be able to hit from there equidistance where it crossed to where it was. And a lot of times people don't understand equidistance. Sometimes that might take a hazard out of play or it might set the golf course up different. So equidistance is a really important rule that most people don't know. We'll go into more detail. But now we're at least starting to understand what the rules off on who tees off first. And a lot of times, if you're playing a tournament, the tournament will set who goes first. Uh, if you're playing with your buddies, it might be a flip of the tee. Whoever the tee points to first goes first. The tee flip second, second, so forth and so on. But again, this is kind of the order of teeing off, the order of play, what it means when the ball is actually in play. And then if we, and it, especially for beginning golfers, which I think some of you will be listening to this, is understanding what a lost ball, out of bounds, and a hazard are. Starting to understand these are the, these are the areas that are going to take so again, not all penalties, not all rules of golf are penalties, but these rules actually have a penal effect to them. Um, again, there's tons of rules of golf, but we have five series um, between the Irish, the Scottish, the American, the Canadian, and the Japanese. So we're going to add five or six rules to each one of these. So we're easily going to go through 35, 40 USGA rules, RNA rules. So you'll be very understanding and conscious of what the rules are and, and be a good opponent and a good uh, competitor and help your players out. Because the really cool thing about the rules of golf is really you want to stop penalties before they happen. We don't want to assess them. So if somebody's getting ready to do something that's not appropriate, you as a golfer should stop them. Go, are you sure that's what you want to do? Are you sure the rule? Maybe you should seek clarification before you move that ball or that tree branch or, or whatever that might be. So again, here's um, this is kind of our conclusion, part two, um, due to some actual technical issues. The tealing small patch. <laughs> I'm gonna have to try this again. That was I really enjoyed it last night after the show. I finished off my glass. I even let my wife taste it, and she really liked it as well. Very complex for an Irish, but again, it was bourbon and a little rum cask. I don't know if I like this as much as the single malt I had when they actually put it in whiskey, I mean wine barrels, but this is really good. So I've already put in my order to Gareth McShay in Ireland to start pulling some tealings aside. And when I'm in Dublin, I'm coming. Be ready. Uh, if you have any questions or any uh, ideas that I brought up in the show that you want to expand upon, please let me know. We have our question and answer coming up in a couple weeks. Next Thursday, Gareth McShay will be live. Well, He'll be on, on the podcast or we'll be Zooming via computer. We'll be doing some tastings. We'll be doing some Irishman, Green Spot, and Red Breast 12. So if you want to drink and enjoy the tastings while we do it and talk, I encourage you to go buy those. And you should be able to find all three of those in travel sampler sizes, probably at your ABC store. Um, so be looking on for that. We, we really enjoy the fact that you might join us there. And we're also talking about doing a few live Zoom calls where we'll invite in anybody that wants to partake. 
we'll put out the whiskeys and we'll do some tasting and talking and, and, and get your feedback as fans as well. Because really what we're doing is we're making this for you, so we want to tie you all into this as well. I did not talk about my Division uh, One National Championship trophy sent to me by Kim Llewellyn. Thank you so much, Kim. Kim was my boss here at Virginia. We worked a long time together. And then we've been, I've helped her over the years with Aimpoint and GameForge and data. And she gave me this lovely note saying how I helped her career and understanding becoming a better coach. So she was gracious enough to share a national championship trophy with me uh, and GameForge. And, and I went ahead and displayed it on this podcast. So thank you again, Kim Llewellyn. Go Deeks, Wake Forest, and uh, like I said, we'll see you next week with Gareth McShay doing some tastings, and I apologize for the, kind of this frantic second half. Like I said, last night's presentation was spot on at about the point that it I lost some audio, so I apologize there and look forward to bringing you more shows here in the coming weeks. Thank you so much. This has been a Fuel production.